All right. I love that you're having great discussion. That's exactly what we hope for. But I do want to draw your attention up here. We're going to have about 30 minutes of teaching. And then I promise I will send you back to your discussion so you can finish those conversations later. Go ahead. And if you haven't already, open your Bible to 1 Peter. We're starting in chapter 1, verse 13. And you may notice that the very first word in this passage is the word, therefore. And anytime you see a transition word like this in Scripture, it's really important to figure out what it's doing there. So who knows that really helpful question that you can ask yourself when you see the word, therefore? What should you ask for? Yeah, exactly. What is the therefore, therefore? And it's so cheesy, you're never going to forget it. Every time you see the word therefore, um, you're going to ask yourself that. And, and I'm glad because you should. And in this case, the word therefore is there because it's pointing us back to everything that we studied last week. So it's saying in light of or because of the fact that we have been given a really amazing gift of salvation through Jesus Christ and that we have been promised a new home in the kingdom of God. In light of that, our lives here right now are going to be radically changed. Peter says that we are going to put our full hope in our future with Christ. And so that begs the question, are you doing that? What would it take for you to do that, to put all of your hope on your future with Christ? Peter says a couple of things. He said, it's going to take a mind that is ready for action, and it's going to take a mind that's self-disciplined. So let's talk about those two things first. What, what does it mean to have a mind that is ready for action? Um, when, when I study scripture at home, usually I'm all over the floor in my living room, and I have on one side, I have my CSB Bible, and then on the other side, I love to have the New King James Version open. And you'll see why here in a second, because in the, in the CSB, it says, get your mind ready for action, right? But then in the New King James Version, it actually says, gird up the loins of your mind, which is way funnier. And I would way rather read that because it's like, what, what does that even mean, right? So girding up the loins would mean they used to, it's referring to the style of dress. Um, that was popular in the day that this was written. So they would wear these long robes, even the men, that would go clear down to the ground. And, and if they needed to, to move quickly, maybe they were going to go for a run, maybe they were going to go to battle, I don't know, maybe they were doing yard work. But they would lift up these robes and they would tuck them into their belts so they had the freedom to move around quickly. Now today... We don't really do that. If I'm going to go for a run, I'm going to put on a cute pair of running shorts, right? But sometimes we do wear things that kind of inhibit our movement, don't we? A few weeks ago, my husband and I got to go to um, a formal gala. And as I was looking around online trying to find, like, what do you even wear to something like this? I don't know. But they, I saw these dresses, and they were beautiful. They were evening gowns, and so they had this big skirt that went all the way around. I was like, ooh, like, that would be pretty fun because I don't usually get to wear something like that, right? But then I started thinking, like, practically, how do I get this dress into my husband's little foreign car? You know, like, do you ever think about, like, where's all the dress go? How do these women get from place to place? Or how do you get up the stairs, right? You've got to 
I guess you got to gird up the loins, right? You got to lift it up so you can walk up the stairs. And so sometimes, I guess we do gird up our loins. But what does that look like in our minds? How many of you have a mind that maybe is just so full of just tool and ruffles of of your day-to-day life, of drop-off and pick-up schedules, of work tasks that have to be done? And, oh, you forgot to get the milk, right? All these things take up so much space in our mind that we have no room left to even put our hope in our future with Christ. Or maybe the problem in your mind is less like a formal gown and it's more like a pair of Spanx. And you're just suffocated by something. Maybe there's like some particular relationship or like a bill that you don't know how you're going to pay or medical diagnosis. And something just has such a tight grip on your mental space that you don't have any oxygen left to hope. Or maybe you're doing both. Maybe you're wearing Spanx under your evening gown. But... This has got to change. Peter says we need to put our our full hope in our future with Christ. And so beyond just having a mind that's ready for action, he says that we need to have a mind that is self-disciplined, or in the New King James, a mind that is sober. And sober here is literally not drunk. And what's the effect of drunkenness? It's impaired judgment, isn't it? And I think one of probably the greatest dangers that we could be in as Christians is to be intoxicated with the belief that this world is our home. We're kind of chasing after a lot of hopes and dreams here before we're chasing after a future hope with Christ. So, what do we do to live our lives here and now in light of our future with Christ? I saw three things in the rest of this passage that we've been studying, and I, I just want to share them with you. They're all going to start with W, so hopefully they'll be easy for you to remember. The first one is to be in God's Word. First Peter 2, 2 says, To desire the pure milk of the Word so that you may grow up into your salvation. Now notice that this is a command not just to be reading God's Word, but to be desiring God's word, to be desiring God's word the way that a baby desires milk. Now, a healthy new baby has an instinctive yearning for its mother's milk. Like When things are right, you don't have to tell the baby to want the milk. But sometimes things aren't right. Has anyone ever tried to nurse a baby who's on a nursing strike? Sometimes we don't have those desires that we should have. And I know that's been one of the most convicting parts of studying First Peter for me is seeing something like this. Like, I know that I ought to have a desire for God's word. But sometimes, if I'm honest, I don't. And so what do I do? What should we do when we don't feel that desire? Um, 
I've, I've got a few things that I found helpful over the years, like in, in those ist- instances, because, because I know like my, my feelings, my desires are often just impacted by, you know, did I sleep well the night before? Have I had something to eat recently? How nice is the weather outside? All of these things affect my desire. So what can I do when I don't desire God's word? Uh, the first thing would be prayer. Ask God. Ask him because ultimately it's going to be the work of the Holy Spirit in you that's going to give you the desire. So that's the first and best place to start is to ask God. And remember that you are asking according to his will. Like he's telling you right here that this is something he wants for you. So go ahead and ask according to his will and with faith that he will do it, and that he can do it. I mean, this is the God who created the universe, who said to, like, avoid of nothingness, let there be light, and there was. This is the same God who created gravity and sustains it every single day. He can certainly, within our own hearts, create a desire for his word. I remember the day that I um, I felt like I needed God's word more than just, um, you know, like I would read God's word because I knew that was what I was supposed to do. But I remember I made the resolve to be in God's word um, because I knew I needed it. And this, this is my second thing would be habit. Uh, get in the habit of being in God's word because... Um, I was, I was in a place where I had a, a new baby, and I, I felt like I was just totally struggling. I, I was, um, was sleep-deprived. I was failing at nursing. And, and I, I cried out to the Lord in that moment, like, God, I feel like I'm not even going to make it. Like, I feel like I'm not surviving. And what came to my mind in that moment was some words of Jesus when he had been tempted out in the wilderness, like he had been with Satan, and and he said to him, he said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so I was like, the things that I think I need, like I think I need some sleep, and I know I need a shower, right? And I know that, you know, I need food to survive, But ultimately what Jesus says is that what you really, really need even more than those things is you need my word. That's what's going to sustain you. And so that day for me, it just clicked. Like, okay, if, if I'm feeding myself physically because I know that that's good for me, then I also need to be feeding myself spiritually. I need to be in God's word. So that's when I made that resolve to, to have the habit even when I don't feel like it, to have the habit of being in God's word. And that was 18 years ago. And there have been plenty of days when I didn't feel like reading scripture. Maybe I was in a fight with my husband. And yet the habit was there and I just knew this is what I do. And so I'm going to do it. And the funny thing is, is that God often works through our habits to create the desire. So get in the habit of being in God's word. Last thing that I found helpful would be community. 
And so I love that you guys are all sitting, not all of you, but you know, most of you are sitting here with your connection groups. I love that. Because connection group is probably the easiest time to find a good community of people who will, who will support you. So it's a carved out time each week where you're in God's word, you're reading it, and then you're in accountability afterward. And so you can say to those women, you can say, I'm not feeling it right now. And they're not going to kick you out and they're not going to shun you from the group, they're probably going to send you a whole bunch of text messages that week encouraging you, right? So, so get in a community where you can be surrounded by other people who will pray for you and support you. And if you're not part of a connection group, I'd love to help you get connected. You can talk to me afterward. Um, okay, so that's, that's the first thing, is that you would be in God's Word. And, and the reason that I think it's so important and so helpful is because being in God's Word is the thing that's going to help us think rightly about our future with Christ. Like, if, if, if I were to tell you tonight, like, I'm going to set you up into an arranged marriage with somebody you've never met before. Like, how many of you would be scouring the internet trying to find, like, any information you could on this guy? For sure, you would. How much more, then, if we have been betrothed to Christ, should we be looking, like, tell me about him. What is he like? And we don't have to put together pieces from Instagram. Like, we have the full counsel of God's word. So the second thing that would change our lives right now as we look forward to our future with Christ would be that we would walk according to his commands. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now this is an amazing invitation. And don't miss the paradox of it. Because here we have the holy God. And remember his holiness is his otherness. Like he's completely different from anyone else. His majesty is just beyond comparison. But rather than building a wall around himself to kind of separate himself, he's inviting us to come and to also be holy. But to be holy in the way that we are being set apart totally for him. My son, um, my oldest son is 18, and he just moved away to college, and he met a girl. And I was on the phone with him the other night, and he said, Mom... I went on an accidental first date. How does one go on an accidental first date, you might ask? Well, they got a Target, and then they went to another Target, and then they went to Taco Bell, and then eventually they found themselves sitting on a bench overlooking a lake. And I said to him, I think it would be wise for you to talk to this young lady and find out if she agrees that this was a first date. (laughs) And this passage is sort of like a defining the relationship conversation that God is having. He's saying, let's be exclusive. I want you to be mine. But here's the thing. 
You can't be simultaneously in love with God and also in love with your sin. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If we're called to be exclusively his, then that would mean that we need to get rid of our sinful way of life. And I would argue that that is probably the best way that you could spend your time here on earth would be turning away from sin and turning toward Jesus and looking at him and saying, you are so much better than anything else that this world could offer me. And you might think, like, that seems really risky to put all of our hope and all of our affection toward Jesus. I love how Charles Spurgeon says it. He says, to risk all with Jesus is to end all risk. Jesus is going to be better than anything else here. And the best thing about it is as we look to him and we just stand in awe of who he is, 2 Corinthians says that when we do that, we are beholding the glory of the Lord. And as we behold the glory of the Lord, we begin to be changed into his likeness more and more and more. And nothing would be better for this world than for a whole bunch of us to look a whole lot more like Jesus. And that leads me to my third point. As we live our lives right now, in light of our future with Christ, we are to be a witness. You ever wonder what your purpose is in life? It says it right here in 1 Peter. It says that as God's exclusive people, we have a job to do. And our job is to proclaim the praises of the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This is something that we can get excited about because our God is so great. And so as we bear witness or just like prove that a thing is true, we're doing it through the simple things of living our life, sacrificing time. We could have been doing something else, spending it in his word, getting to know him, forsaking our sin and turning to him and saying, you are so much better My daughter, who is 16 right now, when she was a little girl, remember I told you we were in this habit of being in God's word while we were having meals together. Um, And we must have been reading something about Jesus coming back and the trumpet sounding because she was sitting in her little booster chair and had her little piggy tails and it was super cute. She had her peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And like any little girl, it's all over her face, you know, crumbs everywhere. And as we were sitting there having lunch, the train went by our house, and it blew just the loudest train whistle that I've ever heard. And little Arne says, Jesus is coming. Oh, I better get these crumbs off. And she starts just like wiping herself off like crazy. She was so excited, so excited to get to see Jesus and to be with him forever. And that should be how we live our lives in light of our future hope with Christ. 